Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. And right off the bat, I want to thank the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, and SeaTac Bar Group, LLC. They own the African Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar on Concourse A out at SeaTac. Uh, my first guest is uh, the president of the Washington State Chapter of the National Association of Minority Contractors, who's a regular on this program because we're both into uh, making sure there's economic justice for uh, our community, as well as other oppressed and depressed communities. And that's Bob Armstead. And there are quite a few things that are happening right now. Uh, we know that uh, earlier we heard President Joseph Biden talking about initially it was gonna be a 10% goal on the $1.75 trillion infrastructure and jobs act funds. And President Biden said it would be 15%. Uh, but uh, when we get down to uh, local levels here, uh, the same commitment doesn't seem to be there. So at this point in time, we'll have President uh, Bob Armstead talk about exactly what some of the challenges are and what some of the issues are with Washington State. Uh, thank you, Eddie. And uh, first, a uh, brief comment about uh, what's available out there. Uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is the one point whatever trillion dollar uh, infrastructure project, which is the largest investment in infrastructure in the United States in over 50 years. There is the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, there is the Justice 40 Initiative, which requires that identified programs uh, ensure that at least 40% of their expenditures are with or in uh, our communities. And there's the community uh, benefits planning. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, aspects of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, uh, projects that are being funded uh, here in Washington State. Uh, as you know, Eddie, we have been attempting to get uh, a current estimate of the amount of funds that have already been allocated to Washington State. Um, the best number we have is $6 billion, uh, 5.7 plus. Uh, but that number is at this point almost a year old. Uh, we have not been able to get uh, current information from uh, our legislative uh, representatives, from the State Department and agencies that have been the recipients of that funding, or, or anyone else that we've contacted so far. We do know that every dollar that's spent by the federal government uh, is recorded and that there is information available uh, to tell us how much money has come to Washington State and who specifically it has come to. Uh, today on the National Association of Minority Contractors monthly meeting, which is at 5 p.m. today at manc.com, uh, we will have representatives from the Washington State Department of Commerce Energy Division. Uh, they will be talking about some of the clean energy projects that are being funded uh, 
both through the Investment in Jobs Act and there are some programs that are um, state-only funded. There are other projects that are funded with a combination of state and federal funds. Yeah. Well, Bob, uh, that website address is namcwa.com, right? Thank you for the correction. Yes, it is. Uh the uh, today we're specifically interested in having Eddie's uh, audience uh, aware of our meeting today, because the discussion will involve opportunities for community-based projects, for individual contractors for public agencies and others to access some of the uh, funding that is available to upgrade buildings, to weatherize buildings, uh, to do other things that fall within the sphere of uh, energy conservation and uh, energy usage. Uh, it is important for our community-based organizations that have buildings uh, that might need to be uh, retrofitted with new uh, electrical systems uh, that might need to have uh, forms of weatherization, whether it's through uh, upgrades to windows or uh, insulation, whatever the process might be, but it is important for us to get the word out to our community-based organizations, to our community-based construction firms, uh, to everyone in the community that owns a building, thinks about owns a building, is renting or leasing a building where they're incurring costs, to know about these uh, projects and programs. Uh, usually, uh, generally speaking, there's a uh, shortage of funds to do things. At this particular point in time, there is an excess of funds. But there's two things that are for certain. One, the money's available, and two, it will be spent. What we want to do is to, as much as possible, uh, make information available so our community-based organizations can take advantage of some of these projects and programs. Our churches, uh, they have large uh, sanctuaries and other facilities. Uh, those probably could use some degree of upgrading. Uh, of, of weatherization uh, or additions, whatever the case might be. What about but the homes of the of the congregants? Any any facility that uh, that qualifies under guidelines, and there are guidelines. There there are some for buildings that are in excess. I think of fifty thousand square feet. There are other requirements for buildings that are smaller. So it's, it's an opportunity, I think, for everybody. And it's one of those situations where if you don't ask, you don't know, and if you don't try, you don't get. 
so I encourage everyone uh, to listen to the presentation uh, this afternoon, to get information from the presenters. They will share that with you and, and ask questions. Uh, ask if the building in your community uh, qualifies to participate in these clean buildings, clean energy, weatherization, and other projects. And this information will be available. Uh, presentations will be this afternoon. And if people go to NAMCWA.com, that's the National Association of Minority Contractors, Washington chapter, email address, uh, 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 Zoom website. address. That's the website address, and you get the Zoom information right on there, right? Yes, it's on a, uh, the first page of the website, right up at the top. Now, recently, Bob, you've been engaged with uh, uh, one of the agencies. We have a few minutes before our next guest. Uh, and there seems to be federal money coming to the state without guidelines for the president, Joe Biden's commitment of 15 percent of those funds going to uh, minorities uh, uh, businesses. Well, there, there are uh, guidelines coming from the feds. The problem that we're having here in Washington state uh, with this funding, as it has been with transportation funding over the years and education funding and everything else uh, since I-200 is that everyone feels, shouldn't say everyone, uh, many of the agencies and departments feel, one, that there's uh, no requirement to be inclusive in their thinking about how those funds are to be spent and that there are no reporting requirements to uh, be able to determine how they actually spent uh, their monies. Uh, we do have a situation right now where there is a solicitation out where the soliciting state departments specifically states in one of the paragraphs in the solicitation that there are no requirements for minority women veterans and you go down the list uh, of participation uh, in that contract well that is not true both on the state level and on the federal level level we have had conversations with OMWBE that is looking into the matter to help the department understand what state requirements are. Uh, I had a conversation with DOE in Washington, D.C. today, and they will be providing to me uh, the guidelines that the feds are issuing with recipients of their funding and also the contact people that we can get in touch with when we feel that the state, in this case, Washington state, is not in compliance with those requirements. We've been joined by uh, Reverend Harriet Walden, founder of Mothers for Police Accountability and also host of the Mothers Justice Show on this station on Mondays at two o'clock. So uh, Reverend Harriet, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest you got a big event coming up next Thursday morning, real bright and early. 
at 7 o'clock at the Royal Esquire Club, the 33rd anniversary of Mothers for Police Accountability. So welcome to the program and let us know what's going to be happening. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, as you said, it's our 33rd. Uh, we've been around a long time. Uh, it's our annual event, uh, and uh, our, our guest speaker is going to be uh, Attorney Vonda M. Sargent. She was the attorney uh, for the Wingate case. Uh, you remember Mr. Wingate? He had the golf course. Uh, he was walking down the street tending to his own business. So she's going to be our speaker. Uh, and the awards is going to go to the uh, late uh, uh, Andrea Branicki. She passed away this year. She was a wonderful attorney. I had been uh, done a lot. She was also John T. Williams' family representative after he was killed. Uh, and so that, and um, it's going to be early. Uh, like you say, uh, the time will go back this weekend. Um, and that's going to be the Royal Esquire Club. And, you know, the information to, to how to get a ticket is on Mother's website. And it's Mother's, S-Own Mother's, Mother's for Police Accountability uh, .org. And uh, people can uh, go there and and, uh, and register and and, uh, and also get a ticket. All the information is on the website. And, and so be excited. It's at seven o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, it is seven o'clock, and we're gonna look up what we're gonna do. Is we're gonna find out which month uh, Thurgood Marshall is uh, born, his birthday month, and and see we might move it to the spring or to the summer, um, because it's always it's always right after the time goes back, and it is dark. <laughs> it's gonna be dark. Uh, you know, so anyway, we, we're hoping that a lot of people will come out and, um, and support mothers. I mean, we, like I say, have been on this field for a long time and we all volunteers and we need more volunteers because some of us is, I got to, we need a little bit more pep in our step. And so we need some more people to bring some pep in their step to help mm -hmm. do the work. I mean, because, you know, you, the work is plentiful, but we need more helpers. Okay. So you've had uh, one person, Attorney Lynn Wilson. Has she been with you all thirty-three years? I know she. She's been with me, yeah. And I, and I, she decided she's not our attorney anymore, but she's still she's still a member of Mothers. But she was our attorney for many, many years. And so actually, we're looking for an attorney to actually be on Mothers' board because we need one. But Lynn is there. She'll be at the program on. She'll be there on uh, on next uh, next Thursday morning. Uh, and uh, she's a fine attorney, and she's done a lot of good work for us. So I want you to share with our listeners some of the issues that mothers have undertaken. And you also, uh, uh, were you the co-director of the uh, uh, Community uh, Police Advisory I Board? Well, I, I'm one of the co-chairs of the Community Police Commission. Uh, and okay. I was appointed by McGinn. And other, no, I, I've been there ever since. I'm probably the last one that was appointed by McGinn. Uh, and uh, looking off, uh, this is probably my last term on there. Uh, but what are some of the things that mothers uh, have done along the way? One time we were called Mothers Against Police Harassment when we first got started. We stopped the police from taking pictures of young people uh, and put, having them turn their hats on backwards and uh, so they could be uh, part of the gang file. I mean, because uh, everybody that had a Raiders coat jacket and a hat was not a gang member. Well, that's one of the things we put a stop to. Uh, and the other thing, one, uh, one of the hallmark things that we've done it's people talk about the crisis intervention and uh, you know all of that, but we're, we're responsible for it. After they killed Brodegard Mitchell, he lived on 24th, right, 23rd, uh, I mean, on Jackson, right behind uh, Wal Walmart in that building. And he was 84 years old. That was, that was the police, that was the individual that the money was stolen. You probably remember that case. And uh, they, they, somebody, I think they put back the 10,000, but, <laughs> but we don't know how much was taken. 
Uh, and uh, as a result of that, and the man who, who held up Seattle downtown for a whole day with a sword, uh, then we went to Portland and brought that model back. And so the DOJ did find some irregularities with it, but they didn't set it up. Mothers is responsible for the crisis intervention uh, 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 team of people that we have here in Seattle today. And uh, it seems like right after uh, the feds removed the uh, oversight from the Seattle Police Department, we heard the vice president of the police guild talking to the president of the police guild about the young Indian lady that was killed by a uh, dry, uh, police officer going three times the, uh, the speed limit. Uh, and uh, they may actually made jokes about this woman's death. And I understand the vice chair has been taken off the streets. But Yeah, yeah, we recommended that the commission did. I mean, we recommended he was taken off without pay, but he has been taken off. But also, I mean, more, more importantly, I think you might have heard the news the other day when Omari Salzberg converged media I was on the news about the route. I mean, because what they did, uh, it was the proud, it was the Seattle police uh, that was putting out the fake news that the Proud Boys was coming up on Capitol Hill doing uh, doing the chop. Uh, and uh, and uh, you know, there's a now there's a first one of the first uh, uh, laws in America to stop them from actually telling those kinds of lies. I mean, I, I call it, I, they call it a route. I call it a lie when they when they're telling you something and it's not true. And out the world, it's a lie. Okay, so so that, that that happened the other day. But we've gone to court with many people. I mean, we've made a lot of changes. We got a lot of policy changes over the years. The main thing, I, we are collaborators. We don't take our marbles and go home. We believe that somebody has to be in this and to be able to have to be able to be talking about some of these issues. Uh, we're not defunders. We can see what's happening when people want to defund the police department. We want constitutional policing. We want them to be punished uh, when they need to be and fired and not being able to get their jobs back. Uh, that's what we want. Well, I tell you what, I think that's very fair for someone that's uh, violating the law and the policies of the state and the institution. Of, so that's right. That's so right. In, in terms of, uh, uh, let's, let's go back to the breakfast once again. That's going to be at 7 o'clock a.m. next Thursday morning at the Royal Esquire Club. And uh your keynote speaker is who again? All right, Miss uh, Vonda Sargent, and I think most mem- most people remember Mr. Win- Mr. Wingate. He was just walking yeah. down the street using uh, his uh, golf course, his golf cane uh, as a cane. I had never been in trouble before, had never been arrested before. Had been, you know, it was a veteran, had been a bus driver, uh, and was charged with a crime. And, uh, and of course, the representative, former representative. Don Mason got involved in that case, and uh, they were able to get those charges dropped and to actually clean his record up to make sure that that doesn't show up. Uh, he's in his 70 and getting arrested. I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a tragedy. I mean, but, you know, it didn't end in his life being taken, but it was still, it was still, it was still unfair. And uh, Ms. Sargent was the attorney on that case. So was he rightfully compensated for his problem? You know, I don't know about that piece. Okay. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that piece. But okay. I do know that uh, the uh, the city attorney and and, uh, and that some of that stuff was reversed. Uh, at his age, it should have been. I don't know what kind of conversation we got. But she's a great attorney. She's done great work uh, uh, here in, in in the city of Seattle, in the state of Washington. So we're gonna have a great day and um, uh, and come on out and have some good breakfast. And go on right. to work. That's what you got to do. So again, go to mothers. That's what that's all mothers for for policeaccountability dot org, and it's, the link is there, so you can purchase a ticket. The tickets are twenty dollars. It's not a lot. <laughs> well, you know, one good thing, Rev. Harriet, is that uh, Eric will have this on uh, Alexa and 
uh, a podcast. So they'll a couple hours after the live program, that okay. will be so people can hear your interview and information okay. about the Mothers Justice Show Breakfast. I mean, the Mothers Mothers for Police and Mothers Justice Show Mothers for Police Accountability's Breakfast on next Thursday, uh, November 9th at seven a.m. at the Royal Esquire Club. And give them the uh, the website address one more time, Reverend Wall. It's Mothers S O Mothers for F O R Police Accountability dot org and the website that's our website and you'll be able to purchase a t- t- ticket there all right thank you very much and keep up the good work oh well, thank you so much and thank you for having me on my show all right okay. thank you all right and i look forward to seeing hearing you on monday at two o'clock on the same dial 11 50 a.m K. that's right right okay thank you thank you thank you okay uh bob we have a few minutes for our next guest so uh, you had mentioned that uh, federal dollars are coming to the state. And there seems to be, I think I saw one email where a state employee said they're going to check with the attorney general. Uh, I don't quite understand the rationale for that. It seems to me if the president makes a, a commitment, that seems to me that folks would be ready to live up to it. Now, I can understand some people in some red states that would try to make the president look bad and not follow through. But... Uh, what is this? What is the situation right now? Will attorney, state attorney general, get involved in determining about this federal money? Uh, I, I have no idea, Eddie. But a quick comment: there are several so-called red states that greatly outperform the state of Washington, a so-called blue state, in terms of inclusion as it relates to uh, contracting and employment. Uh, the situation, as I understand it, is that uh, most, if not all, federal funding uh, is conditional. In other words, you're receiving funding to do a specified thing. And in some cases, there are um, specific requirements for how that is done. In others, it is not. Uh, part of my understanding about this particular funding is that the state was required to submit a community benefits plan as a part of the application for this funding. In that community benefits plan, they were to identify uh, who, what, and how. In other words, who was going to receive it, how they were going to receive it, and what it was going to be used for. So part of what uh, we will now be required to do, since the state is not volunteering that information, is to determine what was included in the state's application uh, to the federal government for those funds and then be able to determine whether or not they are accomplishing uh, the specifics as uh, relates to what they uh, included in their application. Well, uh, I was just wondering if an application be be accepted without having a DBE or minority women and veterans participation. Uh, was there any commitment made by the state that this would be happening and it's not 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 happening part of the uh 
design process for community benefits planning is that communities uh, be a part of the process. Uh, I am not at this point aware if any of our communities uh, were involved in that process. Uh, if not, to me, that's the first violation in terms of uh, their requesting and receiving the funding. And secondly, I do not know at this point what process they have put in place to record and make available to the citizens of the state of Washington uh, how they are utilizing or have utilized that funding. And some people will be making presentations at uh, the NAMC Washington Chapters monthly meeting uh, at five o'clock this afternoon. If you go to NAMCWA.com, uh, you can access uh, uh, the website information to hear the presentations about where the money is going. So uh, anyway, Bob, I want you to hold on. Uh, we're going to have Reverend Braxton coming on shortly. So why don't we take this quick break, uh, Eric? Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org. Seattle, Tacoma, Antwerp? That's right. We're streamed worldwide on our app and on the web at 1150kknw.com. All right, Eddie Ryback, rolling on Urban Forum Northwest. My next guest is a distinguished pastor of New Beginnings Christian Fellowship in Kent, Washington, uh, the Reverend Dr. Leslie David Braxton. And uh, he has a big event coming up next Saturday, September, I mean, November 11th at the church. So welcome again. Urban Forum Northwest, Reverend Braxton. Thank you, Eddie, and it's good to be back here with you and your uh, Digisphere audience. Yes, well, I had to Digisphere on Sunday myself uh, for church, but I did get my tithes in, so that's important. Well, if you got your tithes in, you, you're in good standing with me. And I heard uh, the, the Pastor Espinoza, outstanding pre presenter there. Yes, yes. Yeah. So why don't you run down uh, the event that's going to be coming up on uh, November 11th at the church, and it's the Future Leaders Scholarship Banquet, 
where you're able to provide all kinds of scholarships to worthy and deserving students that are most of them that I'm hearing about are succeeding. Yes, they are. Um, our Future Leaders Scholarship Banquet is an annual event that we have here at the church at New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, one of our most important events because we subscribe to the uh, belief that faith and education have been the twin pillars that have lifted our race from degradation uh, to abundant living in American society. Um, education gives us traction in the economy and empowers us to serve and whatever uh, capacity our gifts uh, allow us. And faith is what keeps wind in our sails as a black people in a white supremacist, anti-black society. That said, um, the we are a church that gives out in excess of $100,000 a year in scholarships, not tokens, but um, large enough scholarship allotments that become a reliable and meaningful piece of a student's overall package. Our grants uh, on the low end are $3,500 for those attending four-year students, uh, four-year inst uh, or institutions on a full-time basis. On the high end, $9,000. So when you consider that over four years, if you get a $9,000 scholarship over four years, that's 36,000 less dollars that you have to borrow, which means you are $36,000 closer upon graduation from undergrad to being able to make a down payment on a house and start building your net worth rather than staying in debt. So we're talking about economic empowerment here. Now, in order to give out those kinds of grants, we have to raise in excess of $150,000 a year. And about 80 to $100,000 of that comes from this banquet, where we raise that much in that night. Um, and so on November the 11th at 6 p.m. at uh, New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, we will be having the annual Future Leaders Scholarship Banquet. Uh, Eddie, last year you were one of our Lifetime Achievement Award winners. You, along with uh, Maxine, um, uh, what's Mims. Ma Dr. Maxine Mims. Mims, Dr. Maxine Mims. Each year we present a male and a female recipient, people who personify what the impact of faith and education means to living an impactful life for others. And so Dr. Mims, through education, you through activism, you guys have lifted the quality of life for African-Americans in the Puget Sound and throughout the nation. And so this year, our Lifetime Achievement Award winners um, are going to be uh, Mr. Jimmy Brown, a University of Washington graduate, um, spent over 65 years as a church musician, including my home church, Bethlehem, and for the last 30 or so years uh, has been at Allen AME uh, in, uh, in Tacoma, and uh, probably the greatest pianist in the Pacific Northwest in the last half century plus. And the female recipient will be none other than Phyllis Birdwell, who's been more than an icon and a living institution at Mount Zion since three years into the McKinney uh, pastoral administration over 60 years she's been at that church. So there's a musical theme to our Lifetime Achievement Award winners. They are colleagues, they are peers, uh, and so we look forward to celebrating these two iconic names in terms of church-based musicianship, educated church-based musicianship. Two individuals with um, college and graduate school degrees in music who have spent their life in the context of the church, serving the church and broader community. Our speaker is going to be uh, Dr. Caprice Hollins. Um, she is the author of the book, Inside Out, 
Um, she has spent her life in helping corporations develop inclusive cultures and being able to deal, uh, uh, forge and have successful relationships around diversity and race. Um, she's also recently on faculty at the Seattle, uh, Seattle School of Theology. Um, so we are excited about the message, the thrilling message that she's going to give on education as she is an impassioned, gifted speaker and orator, passionate about creating safe spaces in corporate uh, America for people of color um, and uh, people, marginalized people. And then our MC is going to be none other than Angela Russell, former uh, Cairo uh, um, uh, news uh, reporter or King news reporter, who's now a freelance reporter. She's going to be our illustrious MC to bring elegance uh, to the uh, program for the evening. About 450 to 500 people will be there. We're still open for people who want to sponsor tables at $600 for a table of eight or buy individual tickets for $75. Uh, we always tell people the best gift you can ever give someone is a gift of education. Once people have it, it can't be taken from them. It's the gift that always pays dividends. And so if you're wondering out there what you can do with part of the blessings God has given you, contact us at thenbcf.org, our website, thenbcf.org, um, where you can purchase a table or purchase a ticket. If you purchase a table like my wife, Sheila, and I do, we also then go out and get eight persons to sit at that table who will come and not just have fun, F-U-N, but who will write a check so that we have funds, F-U-N-D-S, to give in allocation to students uh, come June when we make our scholarship awards. And in, in addition to all that, we got some great singing from uh, Sister Jeanne uh, Perez, uh, and a young adult ensemble of some of the most gifted young adult singers throughout the Pacific Northwest, many of whom sung in the songs of Black Folk Choir. Oh, that, and, that, and, and that's great. Uh, I want to let you know that I talked to Hayward Evans earlier, and he says that the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee will be buying a table, and uh, we'll find out uh, in due time whether how many extra seats we have, and we'll definitely will invite people uh, to sit at the table who will write a check uh, so we're going to make sure that happens as well. So, uh, and that that's I've really been outstanding. And uh, uh, this past weekend at the church was really outstanding. I wasn't able to get there on time, but I did check out. Uh, uh, when I'm not there, I, I'm in the digisphere, but I still make sure that I go to N, dollar sign NVCF, and that is how you do put your ties in if you have cash out. So, I, <laughs> so I, I know how that works as well. Well, Eddie, I want you to know on that note, we had over 100 men who were there all day long Saturday till 3.30 p.m., starting at 8.30 for our annual Man Pause, Man Pause uh, weekend where we deal with men's issues, relational issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues. But we started the day with a body first session with Black Chiropractor, uh, uh, Dr. Um, Shaka uh, who uh, Hatcher, and he spent an hour and a half with the men in the gym uh, with the uh, bands on the floor dealing with balance, flexibility, strength, exercises we can do while watching football. 
So we could kill two birds with one stone, building upper body strength, lower body strength, core and balance while watching football, operative term. He said, we know we're going to spend at least an average of four hours a week or four games a week at three hours a game. That's 12 hours a week watching football. And if we were to average three of those hours sitting there doing exercises that we can do while watching the game, we can keep up with our team and get stronger, more flexible and have better balance and posture. You can't get no better than that. And then we dealt with matters of the head and the heart after strengthening the temple. That's real men's ministry. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I would have been there, but I was on the program for the late Patronelle Wright. It was the 50th anniversary of the Total Experience Gospel Choir that they held at Mount Zion. And uh, I was able to, uh, they asked me to be one of the speakers because I couldn't sing, but, uh, uh, she, you know, she was an activist and tried to save the Cannon House. And then she said, what's going to be next? The building that Reverend McKinney brought here? But anyway, thank God we were able to organize to keep that in the community's hands. So, uh, but like I said, uh, the, uh, the MLK Commemoration Committee will be responsible for one table. Uh, I got to check with Haywood to make sure he gets the money in like right away. And then we're going to ID some people to sit at the table, like you said, who will write a check to make sure that uh, the, the purpose is being served. It's about raising money, and you have a good time listening to Capri, uh, Dr. Caprice Hollins and the other entertainment and the food, but the most important thing is to make sure that those students going away to college have what they need uh, so they can succeed. So, Reverend Braxton, I want to thank you very much for your time today, sir, and thank, thank you, you for sir. the work you're doing in the church and in the hood. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you, and we'll see y'all later. God bless you. Okay, thank you. We need the blessing. Okay, Eric, we're going to take a quick break, and hopefully we'll hook up with Congressman Adam Smith next. I was trying to get him to buy a table, too. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for Sound Transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. I uh, want to thank the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department, the Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, with the Mountain Room Bar and the African Lounge on Concourse A at SeaTac. Uh, we are waiting on Congressman uh, Adam Smith. Uh, Jalen in his office called and said they are voting. And that's why he's back there. 
Uh, so he might join us any minute. If he don't, don't be upset or angry because he's just taking care of the people's business. And you know, with the House of Representatives right now, uh, the D's have to keep their eyes on the prize the whole time, or it might just go to hell in a, in a handbasket. So hopefully that don't that don't help. So we'll be waiting for him. In the meantime, uh, the uh, Washington chapter National Association of Minority Contractors monthly meeting is this afternoon, starting at five o'clock, nmcwa.com. And I was supposed to invite Reverend Braxton to attend the meeting, but I see if I can get Clarence Williams or Stephen Gray. And I'll send you guys information. And anybody else that's listening, uh, if you are uh, affiliated with a church or in any kind of role or capacity, yeah, there's information that could help uh, your church. Uh, so we'd like to have you sign into the meeting at five o'clock as well and hear the presentations about the federal money, where it's going, and how uh, you and your organization or your your uh, uh, church could access these funds to help improve the quality of life. So, uh, Bob, why don't you, uh, uh, while we wait uh, on Congressman Adams, like I said, his first job is to represent the people of ninth congressional district. So uh, every now and then these kind of things happen when you're dealing with, uh, like I said, the house is not the, uh, the, uh, the normal house right now. So no telling what might be happening back there. So uh, why don't you go ahead and just talk a little bit about who's gonna be presenting and what their subject matter will be. Uh, yes, Eddie, and, and we'd also like to invite uh, Congressman Smith's staff so that they can hear about these programs and projects and they can make the uh, information available to the, um, the residents of the uh, Congressman's district. Uh, this evening, we have uh, from the Department of Commerce Energy Office, representatives who will be speaking about uh, clean buildings, uh, energy efficient buildings, uh, weatherization, uh, other types of projects that uh, they fund that uh, allow individuals and organizations, those organizations can be churches, schools, uh, community groups, whatever, that have facilities uh, to have access to funding for upgrades that will improve the energy efficiency of those buildings. Uh, projects such as uh, upgrading and changing out windows, uh, insulation, uh, a whole number of things, uh, including uh, changing out electrical wiring, purchasing equipment that's more energy efficient. It's most just about any type of project that will include the, uh, the energy efficiency uh, of your building. And like I said, facilities can be churches. It can be a community organization. I can think of several that, uh, that you're involved in uh, like the uh, McKinney Center, uh, the uh, MLK Gandhi project, and we can go on and on. Mm -hmm. But they all need to be able to hear what is available, um, what is the qualifications for um, being eligible uh, for the funding and what the processes are 
for receiving the funding. Uh, these presenters this, uh, this afternoon uh, will be speaking specifically about the individual type of projects that they manage and oversee. So there will be an opportunity to ask uh, very specific questions about uh, whatever uh, the persons or the person's organization's uh, identified need might be so that they can determine either uh, at the time or after the pre presentation whether or not they have a facility that they would like to have uh, improvements done for. The uh, presenters will also provide their contact information so that individuals and organizations can contact them after the presentation if they have additional questions or if uh, they're just not clear about, uh, about what it is, how it is, how the money's available, uh, whether there are, uh, if it's a strictly uh, funded project or if there's payback or whatever. Uh, so it's very important for our communities uh, to hear and know about these projects. Yeah. Most about, of these projects. I, I think that, you know, it's really important for people to understand um, the history of the National Association of Minority Contractors. And uh, it started in Oakland, uh, Ray Dones and Joe, uh, Joe Debro. Uh, Joe Debro uh, had a consulting firm on 21st and Union with Willie Allen, who was the president of the Central Contractors Association, CCA at the time. And uh, uh, I think one of our members, uh, Jim Takasaki is in the NAMC Hall of Fame. Uh, but then in 1972, uh, when Ron Dellums was elected, he took it national. But uh, the NAMC, uh, Seattle would have been the first chapter, pretty much like the 68 Black Panther Party started in Oakland, like the NAMC. And the first chapter was in Seattle. Uh, before it became a national organization, the closest uh, group to work with NAMC in Oakland uh, was uh, uh, the Central Contractors Association. So there is some history there and some legacy, and uh, uh, we have to protect that. And unfortunately, uh, a group of people tried to uh, uh, dissemble the organization without giving any regard for being a historic organization, primarily for Black contractors, even though I recall Ray Benegas and Jim Takasaki. Ray Benegas was uh, the founder of Compadre's Business uh, Center. Uh, he was a member of CCA, and uh, they would meet at uh, then the Mardi Gras on Madison. And uh, so there's a lot of history there, and it's not an organization that just came about recently. This organization has been around for quite a while, and uh, uh, it's, it's good to, for people to know the history of this organization, and it's needed now. If you look at the numbers of, of, of our participation, it's needed now more than ever before because we've had a, a, a commitment from the President of the United States that said 15% of this money would go to uh, the uh, disadvantaged business enterprises, minorities, women, and veterans, and we just don't see any proof of that. So... Uh, Hopefully, uh, oh, wait a minute, Congressman Smith is on the line. Congressman Adam Smith, are you there? I am, Eddie. How are you? 
Okay, yeah, we have about about eight minutes, sir. We want you to go right ahead. Glad you were able to get on. Uh, Bob Armstead is, is on with us. He's been working with Jenna and other people in your office. So go right ahead. Let us know what's happening. Yeah, well, we're um, we're working our way through it back here in the House. They're in the middle of some votes. We just uh, voted on the Republican uh, package for, for Israel. And we're still trying to figure out how to keep the government open past November 17th and fund the appropriations bills. Uh, we have a new speaker, uh, but things haven't changed that much in terms of the Republicans working in a very partisan manner. Uh, that's making it hard to get things done back here. The big focus for me is getting those appropriations bills done, keeping the government open, and, and hoping to build to the point where we can get Democrats back in charge next year. Well, the way it looks, uh, that would be, a, I think a lot of people would support that. Uh, Bob was talking recently about, uh, and uh, we've been working with people in your office as well, about the federal money. You know, the president, President Biden, had said that 15 percent of the funds will go to minorities, women and veterans. And uh, we are trying to monitor and we're not really seeing that. So I was just wondering, uh, from your level, what could be done to ensure that there is local participation? Well, first of all, you hit you hit the nail on the head. We have to be able to see the numbers. There has to be greater transparency, and that's something my office is pushing on. You know, where are the contracts going? How do you keep track of them? And how are you calculating whether or not it's going to minority-owned businesses as, as intended? So that's step one, um, and that's what we're really pushing on now is that transparency piece. As you know, Eddie, I mean, we did the infrastructure, the infrastructure bill, the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, the American Recovery Act. American Recovery Plan Act, actually, a lot of money going out. Where did it go? How did it work? And, you know, there's, there's obviously some important lessons to be learned here and also great opportunity uh, to get some funds to, you know, typically disadvantaged business owners to give them an opportunity of fair competition. And we want to make sure we push and take advantage of that. And what, what are your other priorities right now? I know that, you know, getting, keeping the government funded is a, a top priority. What does that look like right now, Congressman Smith? Yeah, well, the, the, the government funding runs out on November 17th, so we'd have to do a continuing resolution and work on appropriations bills. Look, my other big priority back in the district, you know, is dealing with, you know, five big issues. One, homelessness. Two, affordable housing. Three, the criminal justice system. Four, how we deal with behavioral health um, and drug abuse in particular, um, and mental health issues, of course, and then also job training and education, which frankly ties back into the, the first point you made about, you know, getting some of these contracts out to minority-owned businesses, creating opportunity. Because as you know, in, in our community, you know, there, there's just a huge economic gap. There are a lot of people struggling, you know, struggling to, to, to make it, struggling to afford housing. Um, so we need more affordable housing. We need better jobs and better job training for people. So those are the issues that I'm really focused on. Um, we've made a number of proposals uh, in appropriations bills to drive funds out uh, to those community-based organizations. Uh, almost all of them run uh, by people of color. You know, try to get some of those dollars out. So that's my, my priority as we wrap up and head into next year. And uh... – have you had any conversations with anyone in the state about how well they're doing or how well they're not doing? Yeah, we have. Um, you know, look, there's, there's a lot of good news out there. I mean, I think the, the, the best good news is the number of community-based organizations that either stood up for the first time or grew significantly, um, you know, during the pandemic. 
I mean, necessity is the mother of invention, as they say, and there were so many underserved communities during the pandemic that a lot of organizations stood up to try to make sure that they had access to health care, they had access to vaccines, they had access to some of the emergency funding for things like, like housing and keeping small businesses open. So, yeah, we want to keep working with those uh, community-based organizations that have been so successful. What kind of peril are women in with the, the new Speaker of the House and his uh, anti-abortion stand? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I happen to know Mike Johnson because he works on the, the Armed Services Committee, and I've worked with him, you know, quite amicably on armed services issue. But his, his record is very clear, and it is not it is not inclusive. You know, he has definitely been very anti-choice, and also, you know, his views on, on you know, LGBTQ rights are, you know, from like 30 years ago. And I think that's a real risk if you're focused on equality and opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, nice guy, but he definitely has an extreme right-wing perspective that's going to make things very difficult. And does he really have a, a, a black adopted son? Um, well, yes and no. Yes, he does. I don't know if they ever actually formally adopted him. That I, I don't remember. I know that he has someone who was in his early teens a long time ago that they took into the family home and basically treated like a son. I don't know if they formally adopted him or not. Well, it seems like he'd have to be a little bit more empathetic uh, if he had that experience. I was just kind of curious, though, maybe he had to convert the brother into something he wasn't. So I was just yeah, curious he, on that. I, I would say he's reasonably empathetic. Um, he, he's very, very religious, and I think he he takes the sort of positive side of the religion seriously and that love thy neighbor and all of that. Um, but there are also some views that are just really you know out of touch with the modern world um, that we're going to have to work on. And the other big thing I'm worried about as we head towards this government shutdown, is he going to realize that he has to work with Democrats or is he going to keep just trying to do it from a partisan perspective? Because look, Democrats control the Senate, Democrats control the White House. You're not getting anything done here just jamming partisan stuff out there. And that's that's what McCarthy did. You know, so I hope he realizes at some point, and look, it's November. I mean, we're getting to the end of the year. The time is now to start having those conversations about, well, what are we going to be able to get done? And you're not going to be able to yeah. get it done just being a pure partisan. Well, before we go, I just want to thank you for the event that you sponsored last Friday out at Green River, uh, the Kent campus. I went all the way out to Auburn, but anyway... Uh, it was a very good turnout. Uh, there were a lot of people there from agencies who were providing information about opportunities. Now, if we can just make them come to fruition, we'll be all right. So, Congressman Adam Smith, thank you very much for darting over here after after your vote to be on Urban Forum Northwest. And we look forward to continuing having conversations with you and working with your staff uh, out at the Evergreen Building. So, thank you very much. Thank you, Bob, for being here as well. So, thank you very much. Anytime, Eddie. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate you.